Hello, I'm Rabbi Avi Green. And I'm Dr. Akiva Daum. And, and welcome, welcome to Interesting, Interesting Questions. I am a rabbi with ordination from Yeshiva University and a doctorate in education. I have a medical degree with specialization in general and addiction psychiatry. In this podcast, we will seek to take different questions that come up in the Torah and evaluate them from a psychological standpoint as well as a religious standpoint. Please note that in many of these situations, we will be looking at things that may be viewed as controversial. It is specifically to bring about questions that many people have had and bring in to light different levels of evaluation and it'll get people to think about things in a different way. Welcome to Parshat Vayelech. We're rounding the bend. I believe I've said that the last couple of Parshiot. However, we are. Um, Avi, we begin this Parsha with Moshe saying that he is 120 years old. Ad me'ev esrim. And it was interesting. We use that phrase all the time. We say ad me'ev esrim because we, we say that at the time... Moshe talked, it said that Moshe's vision was still what it should be, and his mind was still sharp, and his hearing was still sharp, and yet, of course, he says specifically, I'm 120 years old, and I can no longer go out and come in, um, which, you know, we have, we have the Midrash that says that it's, it's the explanation. It's not that his age impeded him, however... It's, it's a stretch, and in general, most of us who know anybody who is a, even an octogenarian, thank God there's still many who are very healthy, not necessarily that they have everything completely without any degradation, so to speak, and I think it's a wonderful thing, a wonderful bracha to offer to someone, and at the same time, it seems like it doesn't necessarily fit with something that's reasonable. And we know that giving a bracha for something that's completely unreasonable isn't always reasonable or okay either. So shed some light on this, please. This is Admea Vestream. So I think there's a couple different components to discuss here. The first is um, the idea that Moshe is is giving up his post at this point, right? And it's possible that he says he can no longer go in and come out, and he may be referring to the fact that he knows he's not allowed to go into Eretz Israel. So he's saying, right, my usefulness at this point is about to come to an end because all you have left is to enter Eretz Israel. Hashem has told me I'm not able to do that, and therefore I'm not going to be of use to you anymore. The second piece to discuss is his age. And yes, we use this phrase, Ad of Esri, may you live to 120. Uh, I'm not sure that we use it as a literal, uh, as a real, literal statement, although in the next few years, and you'd know better than I, medical technology may allow us, may allow people to live to 120. Um, the quality of life may be up for discussion at that point. Um, but I think we use it as you should have a good long life and it should not be cut short 
by any type of disability or any type of accident, um, but that you should accomplish many great things in the longevity of your life. May you live until 120 years, just as Moshe did. And then finally, there is the possibility that when we look at time in the Torah, it isn't may perhaps, and I'm, I'm not going to jump into the entire discussion of is everything in the Torah scientific or not, but I want to suggest that one possibility is that time as it takes place in the Torah or age as it takes place in the Torah may not be exactly the same as age the way we count it today. And so perhaps Moshe wasn't 120 years the way we count years, but rather he may have been anywhere between 60 and 80 years old, which still would have made him quite elderly by that generation's uh, accounting, and um, but well within our framework of what would have been possible. So Akiva, one of the things that I just mentioned was that Moshe had a good life. And I was talking about his quality of life in regard to the Torah says he was still able to come in and go out and, and, and he was still physically mobile and able to eat and, and was active. Um, and you gave me a look and you wanted to push back, I think, in regards to, well, did Moshe have a good life? Was his life a life of quality? And I think that's a great discussion for us to have. So I'm going to let you opine first. So go ahead. So I think that Moshe certainly had a filled life. You know, he, he had from the earliest of years this huge dichotomy. And I think it sounds as if what we know about Moshe was he had some really, really wonderful times, I'm sure, in Paro's palace as a child. And then when he potentially realized that he was not of them, he may have had some of those feelings of, of not fitting in, as, well, most teenagers do. I'm sure that that's probably around the time that he realized, hey, I'm a little different. Maybe before. I don't know. I wasn't there. Um <clears throat> And and we'll let you kind of fill in if... Uh, not that you were there, Avi, but certainly you know more about this than I do. At the same time, you know, he had such an amazing switch. And, and we know that we talked about this. He learned how to be a leader because of his upbringing. And he had these skills, good and bad, because of what he witnessed and how he experienced leadership. And at the same time... He also gave it all up and ended up leading a new flock, first of sheep, then of people. And, and a lot of differences and a lot of very unique pieces. I think he had a filled life. I don't know that he had a good life from what we think of it. And it kind of raises back, and, and I, I really kind of think this is, we have the concept of being an Eved Hashem. And how that's the goal. 
Moshe was an Eved Hashem. There's no question at that. But when we think of our most amazing Rebbeim and Chachamim and, and Nevim and all of these individuals who we really look at and we say, wow, they had so many amazing qualities. Very rarely do we say, wow, this guy was so happy. And yet, right, one of the things that we see when we talk about people now, when we talk about bar mitzvah boys, bar mitzvah girls, when we talk about uh, parents and we talk about people doing these mitzvot with joy and with happiness and with, with a lust for more and and just strive to learn. How do we balance that? I, I, and I'm asking you rabbinically. Obviously, I, I can talk about how we balance things, but at the same time, from a balanced standpoint of being an Eved Hashem and the examples that we have of what is an Eved Hashem and at the same time knowing that we should do these things, these things besimcha, how, how does this work out? We don't have many examples, at least not in the Torah, of... All of these happy, happy, fulfilled individuals who are of De Hashem. So, I'm actually going to suggest that the idea of happiness is a bit overrated. And the idea that we should be happy all the time, maybe it's an American idea, right? Because uh, we have... Uh, the idea of, of the pursuit of happiness as part of an American ideal. Maybe it's because we have uh, this idea that this is, this is right what freedom is about, is about searching for happiness. But in Judaism, happiness is particularly focused, right? We have the idea of v'samachta b'chagecha, right? You should be happy in your holiday, or you should, but it, but it isn't a an event that happens all the time. You can be happy doing a mitzvah, but it isn't a state that you live in all the time. And I think that's because Judaism realizes that it's not realistic to be happy all the time. And so, now, go ahead. So, sorry, Avi, I, I just want to be very clear. Um, you can't be happy all the time. So I, I don't want to kind of right, push I, no, for no. that. I, I want to say, Moshe, we could probably count on one finger the number of times where we hear about Moshe being happy. He has plenty of times where he is very frustrated by the people or he is excited uh, with Hashem uh, in a positive way. But, but happiness, do we have any where there's happiness that we hear about at all? So I'm going to answer that by saying I think that really depends on what we believe the purpose of the lessons in the Torah are because it also doesn't tell us any of the times that Moshe went to the bathroom in his entire life. And it's not because he didn't go to the bathroom, it's because that wasn't the lesson that we're supposed to learn from the Torah. If we're supposed to learn lessons from Moshe, it's about leadership, it is about how to deal with frustration, it's about how to fight back and support the people that you're leading even when they're doing wrong, it's about how to reward them. It's about how to warn them. Uh, these are, these are right? I've read my fair share of books about CEOs, and very rarely are there stories about moments of pure joy and enjoyment in there, right? It's about 
learning tough lessons. And so if this book, if the Torah is about learning lessons, whether it's about leadership or connection to God, then there can be moments of connection and enjoyment in that connection. But it isn't about times when you're happy. I imagine, right, if I'm trying to get into Moshe's head, that he was happy when his children were born. There may have been moments, right, there's 38 years missing from the Torah. There may have been moments of those 38 years in the desert when he was happy with the way B'nai Israel was behaving, right? The whole idea of Matovu o Halecha Yaakov, that, that it was a moment of beauty and, and camaraderie when Bilaam tried to curse B'nai Israel. And so I think there are moments of satisfaction, of joy. It's just not what the Torah is trying to teach us. And so from my perspective, the idea that Moshe had a fulfilled life, and this can be a larger discussion of what is the purpose of life, um, and, and of course that is colored by the lessons we learn from our parents and the way we are raised. And one of the things that my father always uh, pushed for us to include was, how are you being productive? And so I think Moshe was incredibly productive in the way he, he lived his life. His early years, his formative years, were really structured about learning the things he needed to know, whether it was consciously or unconsciously, in order to lead the Jewish people, right? Growing up in Pharaoh's palace, having connections in, in the Egyptian hierarchy, being able to lead people through the desert because he had lived in the desert as a shepherd. All of those pieces led him to become the leader he was able to be. And even after he became the leader, having a mentor in his father-in-law who could give him advice and guide him. All of those pieces are lessons for us to learn rather than just a story where we say, well, was he happy or wasn't he happy? So Avi, you, you did the wonderful rabbinical and educator thing of telling us how Moshe Rabbeinu had a productive life. But we knew that, and we said that. And, you know, just one of the things that I'm looking at, I went back to Breshit. You know, we're going to go back to Breshit soon anyway. But I went back to Breshit, and we have <clears throat> when Hashem is, is dealing with Chava and Adam, and he says, because you listened to the voice of your wife and ate of the tree, which I commanded not to eat, I'm paraphrasing, accursed is the ground because of you, through suffering shall you eat of it all the days of your life. So, again, really, we have, we're set up, it seems, from really the first week of existence that we as as human beings will be productive 
right? Those of us who need to do will be productive. And we have plenty of examples also in the Torah of every time people behave in what we may misconstrue as besimcha. And I say misconstrue because those people then get destroyed because their idea of besimcha is rowdiness and debauchery and things that we know we're not supposed to do. But there is a balance, there is a medium, and, and we do, we do. We have drushes from all sorts of rebellion, not only in this community, but I'm sure in many of everyone's communities about how we should do these mitzvot in happiness and in simcha, and, and not, not happiness as in like just do it and be productive. It's a, there's a joy, and you still didn't kind of answer the question. Did Moshe have a what we would consider to be a joyful life? And more importantly, since obviously we can't necessarily answer that because it's not in the Torah and we'd be speculating, why isn't it an important lesson that the Torah teaches to have a joyful life, not just a productive life? Productive, of course. Uh, law-abiding and respectful, of course. But a joyful life seems to be a very important and meaningful lesson to teach. So I'm going to push back on the question, Akiva. I think that that is an American ideal. I think that is something that comes from perhaps even Christianity. I don't think, I think Judaism recognizes moments of joy. I think that there are, you know, Obviously, moments in a person's life, but as we said at the beginning, to be happy all the time is not only not the ideal, it's not possible. And I don't think we need to go through life saying it's difficult being Jewish and we, sh- we, we, you know, we do all of these things out of obligation. But at the same time, I think that if we're saying that we should try and do everything with joy... Right? Tisha B'Av is not about joy. And, and, you know, despite what some Hasidic stories might try and teach us, I don't think we can celebrate Tisha B'Av. Um, Yom Kippur is a bit different because there is a connection to the idea of being <coughs> forgiven on Yom Kippur. But I, I think there are certain things that we, that we just simply say, okay. Um, there are times of joy, right? When Adar comes, we increase our level of joy. And there are times where we say, uh, When the month of Av comes, we decrease our joy and recognize that the search for happiness is not the be all and end all of Judaism. Right? It is rather a byproduct of the way we live our life and our satisfaction with that. And so perhaps it's more about our internal satisfaction than it is about external components impacting us. So, Avi, I just kind of want to translate what I think you said and make sure that I understood it correctly because, again, we fell back on that idea that everything should be joyful. And I I agree. I don't think that everything should be joyful. Um, But I think you kind of very much hit on the idea of we do have 
incoherent. Right? We have this idea of things being at the right time and the right place. So putting on my non-rabbi hat, uh, but my educator hat and my psychiatrist hat, um, if I'm understanding you correctly, we do in Judaism have those lessons of there are appropriate times to feel joy and just like there are appropriate times to not feel joy, feel sadness, and that perhaps the Torah specifically is more for the importance of productivity, following the rules, treating each other a certain way, and not necessarily, but of course, as we know, as we're finishing up the Torah, and we're going to restart it, you and I are going to go into something else where there might be more of those opportunities where we can learn and discuss about what is appropriate as far as other emotions and things that we should be feeling and when. Yeah, and I think that, you know, both of us come from a Litvish tradition, um, whereas if we, were, if we were coming from more of a Hasidish tradition, we might take a different perspective, but I think you've summed it up well. I mean, in the past, we've talked about the lineage and the way that we transfer the power. And we know, of course, we talked repeatedly about Kohanim and Levim, how uh, you're kind of born into it. And Moshe's transferring his power to Yoshua ben Nun, not anyone ben Moshe. And I, I, we don't really hear about much of what goes on with, with Moshe's kids. Any idea why? So, later in Tanakh, we're going to see that there is a three-part leadership model. Um, and in fact, many will suggest that this is what the three-part American government model is based on. Right? the idea of checks and balances. And that three-part model is there is the king, there is the navi, and there is the kohen gadol. The king is the executive branch. The navi is supposed to be there representing God, and the kohen represents the people, which isn't necessarily obvious because you might think that the kohen represents God, since he's the Kohen Gadol, but he's actually supposed to represent the people and their needs and their, um, they're bringing their, their karbanot to Hashem to ask for forgiveness, to ask for things they need. So he's actually uh, on the people's side. Um, and that fits very well with, with Aaron and his being a person of the people. Moshe is an early model of this, but Moshe plays two roles. Really, he was both the king and the Navi. As Yoshua takes over, we begin to see that he too is both the Navi and the king at this point, and there's this, this interesting sort of uh, piece that takes place. But I think it speaks to something that is very democratic within Judaism, which is 
that there are times where we say that things are inherited. As you mentioned, Akiva, Kahuna is inherited. To be a Levi is inherited. Eventually, kingship will be inherited. However, Navi is the person who is chosen by Hashem. At a certain point, leadership is about being chosen by the people. And so this idea that there are times where you need somebody who has been born into it, somebody who has been trained from a very early age to be a leader, somebody who is, earns the right by, by, through birth um, is an important concept. And at the same time, the idea that sometimes it's about who the people choose, or sometimes it's about who Hashem chooses, and that's about the person who is most qualified. And so I think that very much speaks to us um, in a democratic society and allows us to feel like, yes, right, a Sanhedrin, a Talmud Chacham, a Rosh Yeshiva, these aren't necessarily positions that are inherited. Often they are positions that are earned. A person gets a, a reputation as a Talmud Chacham and somebody who answers Shailas because people come and ask him Shailas, not because he hangs out a sign on his window that says, now answering questions. So there is a piece where we say, yes, there's a role for your Yichus, your inherited worth, and there is a place for your um, for your own merits. And to answer the question specifically of where are Moshe's sons, my guess is that they are living as Levim in and among B'nai Yisrael. They were people just like anybody else who had a famous father and chose a different path. Whereas Yehoshua, whose father Nun was not of significant note, grew to be an incredible military leader and someone who the Jewish people could follow in this time, in this place, as they were entering Eretz Yisrael. Moshe contends that as part of moving into Eretz Yisrael and getting comfortable, people will become uh, they will eat and they will be satisfied and they'll essentially become fat and complacent. As we prepare for Rosh Hashanah, Yom Kippur, and a new year, in what ways might you have become complacent? And in what ways can you motivate yourself to Prepare and re-energize yourself in your connection to God, to yourself, to the people around you.
Thank you for listening. If you'd like to reach us, you can reach us at iqdiscuss at gmail.com. We look forward to hearing from you and responding.